I think what's most intimidating is wanting there to be a a right answer and a right way Mm. and just the way it's supposed to be done for best case scenario. From Rise Up Financial, it's This American Wallet, a show where we anonymously interview people from all walks of life about how they make, save, and spend their money. I'm your host, Annalise Brethauer. I'm a certified financial planner professional on a mission to break the taboo of talking about money. As a reminder, nothing discussed on this episode should be considered advice of any kind. Please consult the appropriate financial professional about your specific situation. Now back to the show. Well, thanks so much for being here with us. I am sitting here with a doctorate in psychology. Um, She is currently a psychologist resident in her postdoc residency. So thanks so much for being here with us. And I'm going to turn over the tables to you. Give us a little background about your career, how you got here, and what do you love about being in psychology? Hmm. How I got here, I've been pursuing education since forever because I just graduated in June, so um, almost a year ago. Um, And I went from undergrad. I did work for one year before going to graduate school, and then I did a five-year doctorate program. and now I, yeah, I work in pediatric psychology and I love working with kids with chronic illnesses and just managing all that that goes along with having a medical condition, whether it's chronic or not. Um, the mental health aspect of that, you know, large journey that's often very daunting for families um, and can feel very scary. And there's often a lot of anxiety or depression or just daily trying to figure out how to do take all your medications and do the things your doctors are telling you to do and still live your life. And so I I love helping kids and families figure that all out. So I'm guessing that not a lot of our listeners are going to be super familiar with what a psychologist does in the hospital. Mm-hmm. And I know you work specifically with with the pediatric patients. Can you talk to us a little bit more about the role of psychology um, in hospitals for those of us who who haven't experienced that before? Yeah, it's often kind of confusing for people. (laughs) Um, About half of my time I spend um, meeting with patients who are inpatient, admitted to the hospital, um, to either for an acute illness or kind of a flare of, of a chronic illness. And that, we, we call it a consultation service when psychology is consulted, just as many other medical providers would be consulted, whether it's the cardiac team is, um, cardiology team is consulted, or neurology is consulted, or GI is consulted, whatever the, the patient mm-hmm. needs. So we're consulted in the same way, and we check in with patients about how they're, how they're doing. Um, and it is so different for every single person and family that I meet with, depending on what their needs are and, and if psychology can help, um, help them kind of manage what it's like to be in the hospital, potentially for a, a prolonged time. And then another 
you know, half of what I do is outpatient treatment, which is very similar to psychology in the community, except that it's within a medical setting. And so I work with all the medical providers, um, the nurse practitioners and physicians and dietitians, um, so that we're providing this holistic care to patients. So your role as the psychologist resident, tell us more about, so you graduated um, from your doctorate program and then you go into a residency um, environment and talk to us about what that's like from a financial perspective. So during grad school, I wasn't making any money except small, you know, side jobs working on campus or I did a lot of um, babysitting and catering jobs and then into my pre-doctoral internship year which is the year before you graduate and that you transition from being in classes and doing practicum training stuff into a year of a full-time job but you're an intern and so you get paid still very minimally but it's the first time you're not doing any classes or exams or anything like that um so for that year um, was the first year I got paid a little bit, but not very much. And then transitioned and then graduated and then moved on to postdoc, which is um, significantly more money, but still not the kind of salary I would even be making in my first year. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I'm making about half of what I will be able to make on my hopefully, if I can stay within um, the kind of job that I want in healthcare psychology, then I'm making about half. And it's different for psychologist residents all over that depending where they are, if they're working in private practice, they might already be making more money than I am now. Um, And there's just so many different ways to go in with psychology that it really depends what kind of um, like institution you're in or practice you're in. Are you comfortable sharing how much you make right now? Yes. I, so we were making $50,003. Ooh, we'll <laughs> give you an extra three. And then some things have happened within the hospital I work in where we did get bonuses this year. I think they gave us a $1,000 bonus just because they're trying to make it consistent for all residents across the hospital or postdocs across the hospital. So sometimes there's research postdocs or um, I guess that would really be the only other kind. So across all different disciplines, you know, all the different sciences. And so they're trying to make that consistent. And so then I guess some of us that were, were getting a lower income got increased a little. Hmm. So I think it's between 51 and 52 will be what I have made for this year. And so a similar job description, um, but being past the residency period and being full-time employee, that would put you around 100? Is that kind of- Yeah, about about 95. I appreciate you being so open and, you know, willing to share all of that. I want to circle back to what we were talking about uh, a little bit ago about this kind of overwhelm that comes with transition and um, getting maybe different advice or recommendations from different people you trust and what do you do with all that. 
Um, so talk to me a little bit more about what, like, what keeps you up at night? What worries you the most? <laughs> well, that particular phrase doesn't apply to me because when I'm stressed, I sleep and that's my way of coping. <laughs> I'm so jealous. Yeah. My husband is also completely the opposite of that and will stay up worrying and I'm like definitely asleep. Um, the things that make me worry about finances. What, um, puts, what puts you to sleep? <laughs> <laughs> we'll ask it that way. Uh, um, I, I want to feel safe and secure in my finances. So I want mm -hmm. to have a big sum of money and I don't know what I mean by big, but that makes me feel safe mm -hmm. for if I needed it. Mm -hmm. Um, I also, fund. what? An emergency fund? Yeah. A rainy yeah. day fund? Yeah. And then, you know, we don't own a house or any property yet. We are going to need to buy cars in the next few years. Like, there's a lot of really large expenses. And then I kind of like to put all, push all of that aside and just think about how much I want to travel. Mm -hmm. And I have traveled a lot in the past and then haven't been able to through grad school primarily because of finances. That's mm -hmm. really the number one thing, reason. Um, and I, I, I just yearn for that. I think about it constantly, like daily, and, you know, start planning or dreaming about the trips I want to do, and then feeling held back by finances mm -hmm. really brings me down. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Have you and your husband talked about these priorities? And mm -hmm. kind of what you want to do? Have you written them down? Do you have anywhere that mm. something you can refer back to? Well, I don't know what you mean by written down because do you mean like breaking it down kind of? Because we we've explicitly talked about this many, many times. We're very clear about, you know, he is so much more of a homebody and and so his dreams and goals are oftentimes more aligned with security for like living situation and family and wanting to have kids in the next potentially several years. And, and then my brain for dreams and goals goes to like traveling, mm -hmm. but we've talked a lot about that. I mean, fights and good discussions and everything in between. I, when I say, have you written it down? I am talking about literal pencil and paper. I think you could be somebody who could benefit from a financial dream book, mm -hmm. you know, a journal where you start writing these things down. What are, what are your priorities? What are your husband's priorities? Um, which priorities do you have at the top together and which priorities differ? And that can help give you some clarity, um, especially when it's down on a page, when you're looking at it together of where your financial resources are going to give you, you know, for lack of a better term, the best bang for your buck. Um, and, and, and you had mentioned this earlier, and I think it's not a, I can only do this or that, but it's somewhere in the middle. And I always say, save early and save often. And it's not about the dollar amount. It's about the habit mm -hmm. because you, as you earn more and um, 
have more to put somewhere, you can increase those numbers, but having that habit is the hardest part, you know, getting into it and, and starting it is so much less intense than thinking about starting it. Yeah. Yeah, just like anything. Just like anything, exactly. It applies to everything um, in life. But and I'm really glad you mentioned that you and your husband don't have exactly the same priorities with your money, because that's something that I think every couple, if if you're out there and you and your husband totally agree on everything, then more power to you. But I think (laughs) the large majority of marriages um, don't have that. So how do you, how do you and your husband have those conversations? I think we've had them in every way you can have them, Mm -hmm. except for with a financial planner. Um, You know, we've talked to our, we've we've talked to each other about what our goals are. We've, that's been really clear. That's something we have very easily been able to talk about for many years. Um, But having those goals and having any money to do anything with those goals hasn't yet been the case. Mm -hmm. Um, Right now, it's been living for the last few years, you know, all through grad school because he also did a doctorate program. And so it's just kind of paying what we need to pay through the month and not putting things aside. Um, I think we're both very careful, definitely a lot more careful than many of our peers in our doctor programs about skimping on things um, purposefully on a daily basis. So with the intention of, you know, when there's something that's really important to us, we are able to put our money there mm-hmm. um, and not not feeling bad about it. You know, there we were in school with a lot of people who would max out their loans every single semester. And by the end of each month, before they got that new check, they were out of money. And we never reached a place like that. And Mm -hmm. we often did not take the max amount. um, And then also wasn't, you know, not using it up by the end of the month. So it it was very different compared Mm -hmm. to the people that were around us. Um, So you asked like how we've had those conversations. I think we've also tried to seek out a lot of information. We've talked with, um, I don't remember what his title is, someone at our university who helps you make plans for loan repayment and Mm. and financial plans. Um, And then we've talked to each of our parents and our parents have very different philosophies and well, similar philosophies, philosophies, but different ways that they've gone about money management. Um, And can you talk to us about those conversations with your parents? I think a lot, I I would assume that there's a lot of people who don't have those conversations with their parents. Yeah. Was it the two of you asking them? Was it them coming to you saying, you know, I want to give you this knowledge? I think more the latter. Um, I think our parents both like to impart a lot of that knowledge on us. And sometimes we've been, have not been ready to hear it. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that kind of goes back to being in school, being in that like school mode. And that's, that's so far in the future. And so whenever my parents would try to talk to me about it for, for many years, it was just kind of, yeah, yeah, I'm listening, but I don't, know how to apply that information yet. And I don't really have a 
I don't even have the place, the environment, the anything to use that information yet. Yeah. So I would try to take in the information, but it's, you know, it's even my dad has always said, like, once you can actually start making these trials and errors and, and learning with your money, um, that's going to be really different than just like reading about it or talking about it or. Yeah. Yeah. I think you make a really good point that um, I haven't heard very often, which is that it's really valuable to have parents that do have smart, you know, money, financial knowledge um, that they can give you. On the other side of things, you have to be in a place for it to stick where you can actually use it. And, and also part of it is understanding how to apply what they've done to your life because the, what's going to be best for you is not exactly what was best for them and vice versa. Um, so I think that's an interesting point that, that I want to kind of mull over. Yeah. And if like, I've read the, uh, millionaire next door and rich dad, poor dad and Freakonomics, And much of what I think all of that says, and I completely agree with is that teaching kids about money from the very beginning is so important. Mm-hmm. And that's where habits are formed and that's where, you, you, you learn and you start to question or, or make them trials and errors through so while still having your parents support and, and seeing how they manage money at a developmentally appropriate place, you know, mm-hmm. but like sure. I started getting allowance when I turned five and mm-hmm. I got allowance always, but my parents didn't pay for anything. Like if I wanted new clothes or a haircut or to go to the movies. Like I paid for that with my allowance and I had enough money with my allowance to do that if I made good choices with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, I mean, this is something my parents have been trying to teach me forever. And I think yeah. that's very different than many families. Yeah. 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 It sounds like they've had a lot more money conversations with you than I would assume the average family has had. Of course, we all have our relationship with money that is largely dependent on what we saw growing up. Yeah. Which is going to be really different for everyone. And I, and that's where a marriage can, money in a marriage can be difficult because you had really different experiences. So uh, yeah, you said- different backgrounds. Sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you talked about how your parents versus your husband's parents, although they have the same philosophy um, or similar philosophies, they've gone about money a little bit different. Uh, how do you think that has played into the way that the two of you view money separately and then together? Hugely. <laughs> um, and that's something my husband and I often can't uh, are able to identify that well, this is, this is what I think I learned growing up, or this is how I interpreted the money decisions my parents made and and him as well. Um, And that's very ingrained in us as I think it is. in in -hmm. many people, you know, I have some kids that I see for therapy and, and they say, well, I don't need to keep coming because I know that my parents have to pay for this and they're worried about their parents' finances. Mm. And I know that their insurance is covering it and they Mm. have a small copay, but the kid doesn't know that. And they're seeing, you know, I brought it up to a mom once and she 
kind of just out of curiosity and wanted her to know that her child was saying that. And she said, oh, he doesn't need to be worried about that. I don't know why he's worrying, but I think he noticed when we went to pick up prescriptions from the drugstore that I was really stressed out about the, the financial piece. And, mm-hmm. and so, yes, kids are taking this in all the time, even if parents do not realize that they're taking it in. It's, yeah, we're, you're learning from that very young age. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. So do you have a budget? Do you budget? <laughs> this so, is the question I didn't want to. <laughs> I Okay, this is back to that. This is very much rooted. The answer is no. Um, and we look at our monthly statements and see, like, how they compare to our average, um, how they compare to, like, this month last year. We don't do that every month, but we are – somewhat attentive to that. I definitely know we're more attentive than many of our peers, like I was mentioning before. Um, But I think this is also rooted in that weird transition area where I want us to have a budget and we make so little money and every, everything we spend our money on, we're both very cautious and conscious Mm-hmm. about that. And so we often um, will tell each other like, oh, I'm thinking of purchasing this. And then we talk through like, well, is it really necessary? Is it more of a, is it just a for fun thing, like a pleasurable thing? Um, do we need to do that now? Can we wait? And so we off, we're so attentive to every single purchase, even the grocery bill, you know, each week, like, is it similar to how it usually is? Or is it a lot more for some reason. And then we would try to spend less the next week. So Mm. not an actual budget, but attention to when we're spending more on something, how we can spend less on something else or even that out. So are you looking at your bank accounts over the month or or are you just looking at receipts or how are you keeping track of that? Um, bank statements at the end of the month, probably. Um, we mostly only use credit cards. So we, each time we have to pay the bill we're looking at that and we'll scroll through all the transactions. You know, I make sure that I recognize all of the transactions mm-hmm. and sometimes I think, oh shit, shouldn't have probably shouldn't have spent that much on that thing or or whatnot, but then it's a, it's a good reminder, you know, it's kind of a reset each month, like where are we at? We spent more last month than we usually do. So we need to be better this month. And then we're more cautious about it for Mm -hmm. a little while. And got it. Yeah. Ups and downs Mm -hmm. of, you know, being good about managing that. But so do you have a, you know, a day every month that you're sitting down and doing this or who's, who's instigating these conversations? We need to have a day (laughs) and I've heard your advice on that. So um, we don't live together right now. So that makes it a lot harder. We live in different States. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we, we've been married less than a year. And so our finances were always separate before that. And now that we've put our finances together, but then we're not living in the same place. We have different bills and, and needs. Um, 
that are very separate, individual and not together. So we, we have some shared credit cards and we have some individual credit cards. And um, I think we're moving more toward using all the same one because I think that will help keep track. But at the same time, when we're not together, it's kind of nice to be able to keep track separately to have different mm. cards. Um, I think it makes us more attentive and responsible to our own purchases. And I think we're actually fairly well matched, very, very well matched in terms of not one of us being an excessive spender more than another. Yeah. You know, if you're going shopping for clothes or new toys or whatever, I think we we both have times where we spend more and then times where we're better at it. So yeah. that's nice. Not one of us is <laughs> more excessive. Definitely. That makes those conversations easier. Mm-hmm. Uh, here's what I'm trying to piece together. It sounds like even though you don't have a specific budget, you're really good at not overspending beyond your means. You may spend a little bit more in a certain area, but having that awareness and you know reducing in another area. So how are you doing that? Is it just have a really good sense of, of as you're spending money, kind of where you're at? Um, Do you ever find yourself at the end of the month saying, oh, darn, you know, this credit card bill is more than what's in the checking account? I have never not been able to pay my credit card bill. Okay. Yeah. So how, how are you managing that? I think it comes back to just daily management right now, which mm-hmm. is a little bit of what makes me anxious because I want more of a plan for management. But um, one of the very significant money conversations that has been drilled in me from my parents is to assess every option before making a purchase, doing the research, like Mm -hmm. to the extreme doing the (laughs) research um, before making a purchase on anything that's substantial. Even, I mean, even in the grocery store, like I spend way longer shopping than is necessary because I look at I don't know. I want salsa. I look at every single brand of salsa. I don't just look at the price. I look at where it says the the price per unit. Uh And then I'm like, oh, that one's 12 ounces and this one's 16, but this one's more like, and I look at that price per unit and I almost always choose the cheaper one unless there's a specific reason. Um, so that kind of daily attention yeah, more about your lifestyle and it is definitely lifestyle. well below your means that allows you to to not have you know a strict budget, but still to maintain all of your living expenses, living well below your means. Yeah, month. and you know now the first year of actually having an income, we have not changed how we live at all. Mm-hmm. And so I just see my bank account increasing every month, which is the most exciting thing ever. Like I have more mm-hmm. money than I've ever had. Okay. Um, and that's only increasing. Like I'm not using as much as I was before. Yeah. Last year on my internship salary, which was 17000 before taxes. And so 
after taxes and health insurance and all of that, it was like 13,000. So at that point, there were a couple months where I was spending more than I was earning and I had to, we had to readjust. Mm-hmm. Um, but now we're in a more comfy position, which is by no means comfy, but more comfy than we've ever had it. Yeah. Except debt for loans, you know? So. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, let's talk about that. But first I want to make sure you're giving yourself credit for being so on top of your lifestyle and and what you can afford. So while I know you didn't like the, do you have a budget question? <laughs> um, you know, budgets look different for everyone. Yeah. And I think as you start to transition into your really long-term career and you have more flexibility and you're making more than you do now, that's when you get to start allocating to certain areas that are true priorities because ultimately your money is there for the nourishment of your life, you and Mm -hmm. your husband. And so, um, but right now, you know, you're just saving as much as you can and spending enough to keep living your life. And so, yeah, Yeah. I just want to make sure that you're, you give yourself credit for that. Well, thank you. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Budget is not so scary. I would call that a form of a budget. Yeah. So, okay. So let's talk about the, the loans and, and you mentioned earlier that you have had differing advice for Mm -hmm. what to do about them. Um, when you, when you said that, is your differing advice or is it coming from two places that you really trust and that's why it's hard to, to understand? Or is it because you're, you're not sure what your goals are, um, as far as what the two of you want to do with your loans or just talk, talk to us more about that. I think what's most intimidating is wanting there to be a a right answer and a right way Mm. and just the way it's supposed to be done for best case scenario. Okay. And that doesn't exactly exist because it's a, everyone has a personal choice and, Mm -hmm. um, and like you're saying, is it because I don't know what our goals are? Yeah, I guess in a way, but my goals, my philosophy for almost everything I do in life is to open as many doors as possible for myself to set myself up to always have as many options as possible. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, that's why I went and got my doctorate. I I could have done a master's, but I had no idea what I wanted to do long-term except be in mental health and was like, okay, well, I have to, I want to do whatever's the most I can do so that then I have as many options as possible later. And I think about that with money too. Like I, I want, I want to manage or handle the loans, you know, in the best way possible, but there's not, you know, every single, every person that wants to advise you on money is going to have their own idea about what's best and right. That's an interesting statement. Um, Just because I think part of, of at least my philosophy, and I think a lot of financial planners is it, first of all, you're right there. Whatever's best, the answer is it depends (laughs) most of the time, you know, aside from obviously you don't want to get into more debt um, if you can avoid it. But student loans, you know, they're an investment in yourself. 
Um, so that's different than like credit card debt um, or that sort of thing. So in my mind, being a financial planner is about how do we get really clear on what matters to you and to your family and to your future and what's quote unquote best is determined by that. So, so how does that apply to someone's one person saying, get out of debt as soon as possible, put all of your money into it and continue living well below your means now versus someone who says, you don't have to continue living that way. You can, you know, live a little bit more comfortably and just pay your loans back as you can. Maybe, I mean, having a plan as to what your your plan is for how many years you want to pay it back and then sticking to that Yeah. versus just like putting all of your extra cash into it until it's gone. Yeah. Really, really, really good question. I'm glad. I'm glad you asked. So first of all, you had mentioned kind of having this cushion of cash. We could call it an emergency fund, a rainy day fund, a sleep at night fund, or a put you to sleep fund, <laughs> um, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. That, that is priority number one, because for situations where there's uncertainty, you need to have a cushion, a plan, mm-hmm. a security blanket. Um, so past that, um, it comes down to risk tolerance in a lot of ways and priorities. So for some people, having owning a house might have been a lifelong dream of theirs, and it's really, really important for them to own a house. So that, that's going to be taken into account um, when decided, okay, how, how aggressively should we pay off student loans? And for somebody else, they might be conservative and risk averse and say, okay, I just want to deleverage myself, have the lowest amount of debt possible. And that's really important. And if that's going to help me feel safe and secure and comfortable, so we're going to make that first priority. And there's everything in between. But I think it's that I get what you're saying. Mm-hmm. And I guess it, when you asked if I don't know what my goals are, I guess that's the case because mm-hmm. I don't, I don't know if it's best for us to get out of debt as ASAP or to buy a house and, you know, for those examples you gave and you say it's about the person, but I don't, I don't feel like I have enough knowledge Mm -hmm. about the pros and the cons of each of those sides to know even where I am. Sure. Okay. Yeah. And I use, um, actually three questions that are, were George Kinder, um, came up with them and and this kind of helps to get there. Do you want to go through them? Sure. Okay. They get, they get pretty intense. So, uh, (laughs) but they they start more broad and we narrow in. So question number one is imagine you're financially secure. You have plenty of money to take care of your needs now and in the future. How would you live your life? Would you change anything? Let yourself dream. Don't hold back. That is so easy for me to do. My husband cannot dream this way. (laughs) Um, I would travel. I would not worry about taking a month off of work each year if I had the luxury to do that. Or it's very important to me to have a job where that 
is something I can do. Mm-hmm. I do not want to feel stuck traveling because of work or because of finances, but I would travel. I would go explore. I would go on adventures in the U S and all around the world. And that is, I guess that's the one thing that really just really draws me. I don't, Mm. I don't care about having a super fancy car. Mm -hmm. I want a car that works and is somewhat nice, but that's not a priority for me. Mm -hmm. Even if I had plenty of money, I, I guess I would like some nicer clothes (laughs) for work, (laughs) but you know, that my dream is really just to travel. Mm -hmm. So we're going to move into question number two, which is imagine that you visit your doctor who tells you that you only have five to 10 years to live. You won't ever feel sick and you'll have no notice of the moment of your passing. What would you do in the time you have remaining? Travel. <laughs> okay. I would this quit is- my job and I would hope that my husband would want to quit his. <laughs> and travel or, the world. or not and join me when you can, but I'm out of here. I'm going to, I'm going to go see the world. So I'm going to read you the third question, but I'm pretty sure I already know how you're going to (laughs) respond to it, Um, which is finally imagine that your doctor shocks you with the news that you only have 24 hours to live. Notice what feelings arise as you confront your very real mortality. Ask yourself, what did you miss? What did you not get to do? Who did you not get to be? I think that's actually trickier than maybe you were assuming. But what did I miss? I mean, at first I thought you were going to say, what do you want to do for the next 24 hours? And I was actually going to say, just be with my family and my loved ones. Mm -hmm. Um, Maybe fly them to another part of the world. I don't know. (laughs) Um, But what did I, what is it? What did you miss? What did you miss? Who did you not get to be? What did you not get to do? I guess right now it would be not getting to have a family. Hmm. Mm -hmm. So I guess that, you know, that's also a very important. Yeah. You know, I feel kind of bad that I didn't realize that a little earlier, but I'm just thinking about me now this year. I want to travel, but. I also want to have kids and I want to have a good home and a good school for them. And those, those are more in line with like what my husband's main goals are. Mm -hmm. Um, A home and a good school. And so I think that would be what I would be sad that I missed out on. Yeah. So typically I would do this with both of you yeah, and have you answer these questions separately and then bring you two together and talk about them. And I really, you know, I appreciate you answering them because I know they're not easy questions (laughs) to answer and it would probably, you know, you'd probably have similar answers, but they'd be a little bit uh, more widespread if you took it home and, you know, thought about it. 
but ultimately what I'm hearing is travel experiences and family Mm -hmm. are your top priorities. And, and we would look at what your husband's are too. And, and then get a better understanding of your risk tolerance mm-hmm. um, and go from there. And that would help us determine, okay, how aggressively should we be paying off the student loans? What options do we have when paying off student loans? Um, how much realistically can we invest in travel and experiences versus saving for our future family and a home for them and, and all of those things? So I think it's really helpful to get down to hear you talk about, you know, at the, at the end of the day, having a family is really deeply seated in something that you want for yourself mm-hmm. and traveling lights you up. I can, yeah. I can see it. Um, <laughs> you know, we're on a zoom video call, but I can also hear it in your voice. Yeah. And so that's something that should be a priority that's held up there with paying off student loans and, um, so hopefully that gives you a little bit more um, direct as far as how we'd work through that. Mm-hmm. Does that kind of answer your question better? Yeah, about how you'd even gain that knowledge as to even help you make those choices. Yeah. 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 And I think what's really hard is um, all of us have our our experiences with money from our parents, you know, that that voice in our head. Yeah, that says, oh, my, my parents would be doing this. And, and that, that holds weight, but it also needs to be married with what do you want? What's important for you? And using, we use software to project this out. So we could look at what does it look like to pay off, you know, X amount of student loans versus Y amount of student loans. And what does different assumptions with investments how does that play into it? And so I think it's kind of being able to see some of those things that gives you the data that you need, kind of yeah. that, that big question mark to say, okay, I feel like I have enough to make this decision for myself yeah. and my family. I think that data would, and those kind of projections would be really helpful for me. That would make it feel like a more solid example of yeah what happens if you do it this way versus this way yeah um compared to it being very theoretical sure yeah 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 that makes a lot of sense well in closing up here um what's your proudest money moment hmm i should probably say getting my doctorate <laughs> You say whatever, uh, whatever is most proudest to you. The first thing that popped into my mind was, um, and maybe just because I'm so thinking about travel right now, but um, when I went by myself and did solo travel for six weeks in Europe and went to seven different countries, and that was money I had saved up um, mm. particularly or specifically for a trip like that. Um, I was probably one of the things I've done that made me for, done for myself that made me the happiest. Yeah. And it required a large chunk of money. Mm-hmm. Um, the other time I did something like that was a, a 30 day backpacking trip. And that took a lot of money to invest in all the equipment I needed that I didn't have yet. Mm. Um, and the planning that went into that. And I mean, that was not 
a large thing and compared to many others, but it was something again that I saved for and planned for and was very deliberate about how I used the money for it and proud of that. It's a really good example of, of you making a plan, of you having a goal, of you knowing that that's a priority and then achieving it and feeling the happiness, not only when you're on the trip, but thinking back. Yeah. That yeah, those experiences have given you so much. So uh, yeah. with that, thanks so much for being on the podcast. I really appreciate you being extremely vulnerable and I know this is scary. And so thank you. It'll be really helpful for our listeners to, to be able to hear. Yeah. And I just, a closing thing I might say is I, I think we heard, I can't remember where we heard this, if it was one of those books that I read, but being able to talk about money with your friends Mm. is so important because so many of us, like in grad school, you know, we were all came from different backgrounds, financial backgrounds, and some people had loans, some people didn't. And we were all making different daily choices, like how many times are you going to go out to the bars and spend that money or go to Disney World or go travel versus just hunker down and not spend as much money because that's your priority. And when we don't talk about money with our friends and the people that we spend our our days and weeks with, it makes it taboo. Mm-hmm. It makes it like you can't talk about it and then it's you know, someone might feel ashamed for talking about it in a certain way, or, you know, I definitely felt very uncomfortable talking about loans with, I I didn't, I I would like find ways out of the conversation because we were all in such a different place. Mm. Um, And I think that's really significant when you can't talk to your regular people about it, it, it sets this weird barrier. But if you can talk about it, then you can make better choices together. Like let's cook dinner in instead of going out because we're choosing this together because it's a priority to both of us or, or something like that. Yeah. I really appreciate you saying that. And this is the exact reason of why I started the podcast because I think it's so important to talk about money and it is so taboo and it's uncomfortable and Mm -hmm. just talking about it a little bit here and there, you're right. We all make better decisions. If this is your first time joining us, welcome to the Rise Up Tribe. If you're a regular here, thanks so much for listening. You're a valued member of our community. If you'd like to come on the show, Google This American Wallet, which will take you to the podcast page of our website here at Rise Up Financial. Until next time, be kind and save money.